Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to day two of L.A. PodFest. Yeah. Woo is the appropriate response to that. Uh, real quick, thank to sponsors, uh, the Sideshow Network, All Things Comedy, Daily Motion, Squarespace, and MailChimp. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce one of my favorite podcasts. This is the uh, often informative, sometimes accurate, but always very funny, Probably Science. Science. Welcome to hear that theme music. We never get to hear it when we're doing this normally. I know, Andy normally puts that on afterwards, using technical know-how. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Probably Science. Thank you for joining us uh, thank this you. beautiful Santa Monica Saturday afternoon. This is the live LA Podfest. This is our pro- LA Podfest debut. It, it is that, and it's only the third time we've done this live, and uh, like, one-third of those times have involved Gallagher, so they haven't all been <laughs> that we, great. I'm going to say, like, we've done... No, we've done it, I think, four times live, if you count the one that I did by myself when I was at some little festival in the, oh, in the that's Midwest. Oh, that's true. That's true, you did that. We did one that was, was a bit of a train wreck before uh, another live show, though. We just went, ah, okay, let's try it. Uh, then we did uh, Gallagher. <laughs> how many of you listened to the Gallagher episode? Anybody happen to? Okay, a few of you know how that Half went. of yeah. it, yeah. Someone said half of it. Uh, that's it got about. A little, it got a little um, uh, controversial, I guess you could say, about halfway. He had some opinions about height-based uh, discrimination in the Mexican community. That... It was it was the specificity of the racism that was particularly interesting yeah. to me. Like it wasn't it wasn't just that he was racist. He was racist in such a specific, <laughs> unique way. Like you almost had to applaud him. You respect for that ingenuity, of it, not the yeah. But uh, I feel like we've we've spent so much time talking about Gallagher. It's, we should at least explain what the show is for those of you who haven't joined us before. Uh, we we go through. Well, Matt and I both have science backgrounds. I used to be an engineer. You have a math I, degree. I have a math degree. I bluffed my way through a math degree and then started doing comedy. And he was an engineer and started doing comedy. And Brooks uh, were worked in a biotechnology lab and started doing comedy and then joined our podcast. And then went to be on SNL, so he doesn't do the podcast anymore. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time. We're all, this is the progression. You do science, then you do a podcast, then you get cast member on, on SNL. So, so that's uh, it's only a matter of time for us and everyone else here. So what, <laughs> so what we normally do is we go through the week in science news with comedian guests, but then sometimes we have special scientist guests who have special scientist information. And then sometimes uh, we do a kind of hybrid show between the two. Or we've got like some, uh, we've got a comedian guest and a guest who's more from the science world, and we do that in a live uh, hotel function room uh, where we can hear a more successful podcast on the other side of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's, always, it's always encouraging. This is what happens like, at comedy festivals quite often, where they, they do make use as much use as possible of the space. It's always nice to know your place in the hierarchy of things. And you can very clearly hear just on the other side of a thin dividing wall, many, many people. So thank you for you guys in the room for choosing to spend your time yeah. with us. I, I think the median age is a little bit higher here because across the way is Joy McIntyre from New Kids in the Block. So I think it's approximately 14-year-old four, female is the target demo. And the girlfriend the of one of our guests just went, he's on the other side of that room. Uh, <laughs> you guys you know what's suddenly went like. This is... <laughs> Like, you'd, you'd still be in a relationship if she were just a slipper across the other. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to very quickly, um, one of the things I do love whenever, when we do our show is we have real scientists sometimes who listen. I have no idea why they listen to the show, but they do uh, as we blunder our way through various bits of information. Uh, and they write in with corrections. And I thought there was, there was one um, 
just this week that I probably should have had loaded up already, but I didn't. Um, it was, where, we were talking about, have you guys noticed sometimes on airplanes, often Recently, as of the last few years, planes, commercial planes, uh, the wings are no longer flat. They now have a little sticky up bit at the ends. It's called a winglet, uh, as it's it called, turns out. It's called a winglet. A winglet. And, I, and we had a little discussion about it on last week's episode, and I pointed out that it increases the efficiency of the plane. But I, 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 I guessed a percentage that was way too high and gave a reason that was not even close it, to accurate. And plus, it seems like one of those things, like when they tell you to like draw around the edge of a CD with an orange marker. Did you ever hear that? To improve the sound quality, which is obviously completely bullshit. Yeah, but I, you'd hope that Delta doesn't fall for that kind right. of bullshit. Like, <laughs> it's not like a superstitious you know, aerospace you kind of engineer. Guess that, like, the head of United isn't like, no, seriously, my buddy Dave said if you, <laughs> if so, you rub the nose of the plane three times before it takes off, like, you'll use half the fuel. Uh, so Dr. Andrew Garrard, uh, who is a PhD and senior lecturer in thermofluids at Sheffield Hallam University, wrote in to tell us the reason they put those on is, um, well, Bernoulli's principle, we're all aware of how that works, the faster moving air along the top of the plane is lower pressure than with, the with slower by, moving... By the way, I have a slight problem with, with, uh, with his explanation, and here's why. Like, uh, Dr. Garrett starts by saying, uh, if you think about the way a plane works, uh, uh, planes have a curved upper surface and a flatter lower surface, and the air moves quicker over the, over the curved upper surface than it does on the lower surface, and because of the Bernoulli principle, faster moving air has lower pressure, so the plane goes up. Uh, and, then he, and then he goes, but that's not really how it works, that's just what they tell people in elementary school. Uh, <laughs> but then he still uses that bit of the explanation to then explain the next bit, so I now, I, I'm still kind of none the wiser. But what he does point out is there are two different airflows over the top of the wing and the bottom of the wing, uh, and because of that, at the very tip of the wing, um, because the air is moving faster over the top and slower over the bottom, and the plane's moving forward, uh, you end up with a vortex where the, where the, slower mo- where the higher pressure air uh, will want to move to the lower pressure air, and so it'll spin around the tip of the wing, and these wing vortices cause a lot of drag. But if the end of the wing has a little bit that sticks up... Just says, then, uh-uh, just says, yeah, uh-uh to that. Then the, wind will want, the air will want to spiral around, and it gets stopped, like, bam, by this wall of nope, extra wing. not going to happen. And then that stops the wing vortices, and that increases the efficiency. And according to the internet, by about 1.8%, which saved United Airlines around $200 million a year. That's crazy. So, so there we Let's go. Let's hear it for winglets, you guys. <laughs> Podcast festival brought to you by winglets. Uh, so there we go. Thank, thank you, Dr. Andrew Garrard. And please do write in and tell us how planes actually work at yeah, some point. Someday. Uh, in a non-elementary school way. Um, I, I think we should just get... We've got a couple of great guests, and I'd like to introduce the first one. Um, someone I've, I've known for a while, because uh, despite starting off doing comedy in New Zealand, he then spent years working in the UK. Uh, and then I got to see him go across to America to be on the Flight of the Concords TV show and become very successful and end up in a whole host of movies, uh, would you please welcome the very funny, uh, the excellent Mr. Reese Darby. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Either seat. Either seat. I know you better. Yeah, sit, sit on my side. We're safe. Keep your distance from the Yankees. Is that Andy? <laughs> that is Andy Wood. Andy, good Do, do we introduce you. ourselves Actually, at the beginning of this one? I don't maybe know. Maybe we I, didn't. I'm Andy Wood. This is I'm Matt Kirshen. <laughs> we are professionals. Uh, <laughs> Reese, thank you for... I, I didn't even know you were in LA, and now you're suddenly like, yeah, I live here now, and I'm... Yeah, I'm sort of keeping it on the, on the down low, yep. you know, because uh, I don't want people 
going crazy about it. <laughs> I think tonight, today you can see the effects it's having. It's almost quarter-filled lecture room. <laughs> I was at the back, actually, and uh, I, yeah, it's, it's great. You can hear, with the open door, of course, you can hear everything that's happening down the corridor and all the other very successful podcasts. <laughs> I almost slipped out five minutes ago to see what was going on down there, but no, I'm here. I'm proud to be on this show. What is it? What are we doing? <laughs> Well, usually when we have non-science guests, which is almost every episode, we still like to talk to them about what, if any, was their science background. Like, what did you study in school? What do you still retain? Do you enjoy the sciences? I used to get A's uh, in science. Really? Uh, that puts you in the upper percentile of our guests. Oh, really? so oh, yeah, who's been on the show? Well, I haven't finished my sentence. <laughs> um, for uh, best book in science, for, for, for my, my, the artwork and my science book. <laughs> so I really spent a lot of detail on, on the drawings and the title pages. And Mrs. Newton, <laughs> that was my science teacher. That's weird. Uh, just realized Do you think she was pushed into the sciences because of her name? <laughs> Possibly, because she wasn't very good. But she was, really, <laughs> she was really into the aesthetics of the books that we put through. And so I think she had something gone for me because... Uh, yeah, I got high marks. So, so you were Just low on knowledge, but great on colouring in. Yeah. <laughs> Which Basically. I don't know. I know we've got at least a couple of proper scientists in there. We've got one who I met earlier on today. You're, you're, we've got a physicist at the back of the room there. Oh, wow. How oh, is your, how's your colouring in rating? Oh, awesome. I was very good at colouring. It's Which, an important part, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because science can be boring. You need to really make it look <laughs> awesome. So we're really screwing up by having an audio-only podcast. Yeah, this is, you should see the illustrations you're doing as we speak at home yeah. listeners. It's, it's amazing. Um, well, you did do something that I would consider somewhat scientific in your, in your military time. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. If I, if I can trust Wikipedia, which if we can't trust that, why well, go on living? Um, but it, it informed me that you were a, signal, a Morse code signaler. Is that That's true? right. That's I'm right. One of the last of the official Morse coders. Uh, that was back in 1991, and yeah, I mean, I was just a child then. I mean, I'm still a child, but I was a, a younger child, <laughs> and I learned Morse code, and I was doing 40 words per minute back then. Uh, it was like a three-month course, and, it, you know, I was a signaller in, in the army, and, so and you, we were still you, using it. You devoted three months of your life to a technology that's been entirely overtaken by texting. <laughs> Like the average 11-year-old can now send a message substantially quicker than... Yeah, I guess back then, and maybe still today, the New Zealand Army wasn't really at the forefront of global technology. But we believed, and they said to us, look, if everything else fails, Morse code is still going to get through. So, you know, and then the the next year, I think it was, they they cancelled all the Morse code courses, and they they don't even teach it now, as far as I know, for soldiers. Do you still remember any, though? Well, uh, and if you buy a kid's uh, walkie-talkie, it's still written on the walkie-talkie, so... It's oh, still there's usable. There's a little button on the side where you can bleep it. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. What uh, did you just say? Uh, you wouldn't want to know. <laughs> it was not if, kind. If we give you a word right now, could you tap it out on the table accurately? Uh, probably not. It's been a while, and I <sighs> didn't keep the skill going once I realized. <laughs> it's like when I learned Latin at school, and then the following year they said, yeah, that's dead. I said, well, why did I learn it? I said, well, you know, it's a lot of things derived from it. So, it's, it's just it's my life, really. I, mean, like, I, I still know the basics, like um, obviously SOS. SOS. Everyone knows that one. And there was an F is 
I remember that. Do you have to sing it also? <laughs> yeah, I have, I have to. Well, yeah, it's they, all about they have the buttons. Like in, in the New Zealand Army, do you have to actually just sing all the dots into the microphone? <laughs> well, no, but I could do that. <laughs> and if the, if, the, if the key thing broke, you know, I could do it. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Look at that, the, the at-home listener, he's got some amazing index finger That's tapping tea. skills going on. I, it really know, is all about rhythm. You do it onto the mic. Uh, uh. That's a professional. That's a professional <laughs> morser. You can tell that. When I used to, because I used to know it pretty, obviously quite well, and I used to go and watch films like um, Hollywood blockbusters like Titanic and, and, and films that are set in, in the era when they, there's a lot of Morse code happening. And they used to do it in, in movies, obviously, and, I'd, and, I'd, and I'd be, they'd be tapping away in, the, in that Titanic one, you know, when they were going to sink, and I'd be listening going, what? That's, that, that's nonsensical. <laughs> that's, he's just making that up. You know, and I stood up in the theatre and everyone shut down. <laughs> no, they know. spent $200 million to build a full-scale replica of the yeah. ship. They couldn't just they get a consultant in for 50 a, bucks. Yeah, to, Morse, Morse code to come and at least make it accurate. <laughs> like some Vietnam vets get sort of flashbacks if they see war films and you're like just getting Morse code flashbacks. You're yeah. like, no! <laughs> that's God, not an F. S. God, insane. Uh, I was also surprised to find out that you're a big fan of cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. And you had, do yeah. you still do the uh, cryptid? Yeah, I've factor? got my own podcast, which I'll plug. It's called The Cryptid Factor. And that's, uh, that's a, a podcast predominantly about all things weird and wonderful, but we uh, talk about cryptozoology a lot as well. You'll be surprised how much cryptid news there is every week. Um, do, so. you, do you yourself believe in? Oh, yeah, of course. And- I wouldn't do it if I didn't. It's not a joke. it's a science I spent about 10 years in Portland, Oregon which is that's kind of I would say the worldwide epicenter of all things Sasquatch related probably people move to that area just to to they're professional maybe not professional there are people who spend their lives Mm -hmm. hunting Sasquatch in the northwest and it's got bigger over the last decade I mean there's big TV shows now like Finding Bigfoot and everything I, I really believe that this year He's going to reveal himself. <laughs> this is the year. The pressure's too much. There's t- so many, so many TV shows, cameras, ideas. But the thing is, obviously, you know, there's not just one. There's thousands of them, and you know, they're hiding and they're migrating, and and you know, I, I don't know. Is it real? You, Even if it's not, the hunt for it, the excitement of it, the, the fact that there's mystery still in this world, that's what excites me. So. I want nothing more for, than for that to be true. Yes, that yeah. would be amazing. Like We would all come together as like all humans throughout the I world know. would bond over this discovery. All the skeptics would be like, oh, yeah. I can't believe it. It would be like an Independence Day when the aliens attack. Like Now we put aside our petty differences because yeah. now there's Sasquatches. That's right. Like, we can all get like. How Jews long and after, Arabs are every, yeah. every every denomination religions of the world. would unite. Yes, it's, <laughs> How long everybody. after finding a, a Bigfoot do you reckon we get instantly bored? Like, <laughs> like, I, I, like I, wouldn't it be depressing to sort of find the Sasquatch and then and then a week or two later I was like, yeah, we got that now. Oh, you mean get bored again? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's plenty of other cryptids to find. Nessie, right? But there's this just the men. one, right? You're not going to find a whole bunch of Nessies, probably. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, sea serpents in, in many lakes all around the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so how would they get? From the inv- <laughs> They're all linked by underground chambers. Oh, okay, okay. Thank yeah. you, thank you. you know That's nothing. the question I was asking. They all live okay. in the center of the earth. That's where the cryptids. <laughs> it are. makes total sense now. There's of a course. massive doorway to another dimension, right. and they come through. So you, it's like Pacific Rim. It's yeah. So nothing if you like find that. One. I'm, I'm talking I'm about facts. <laughs> stupid movies. 
So if you find one, you find the batch. You find the whole lot. Well, yes, you find one and you interrogate them. And you... <laughs> That's the plan. And then lead us to the, uh, the dimensional doorway, please. If and you then, are, you know, if... but I'm not. You know, I'm just not. I'm, I'm going to sort of be on their side. I'm not. I'm not a bad guy. I'm going to sort of. I want to go with them. I want to meet the rest of the gang. You know. So and, uh, in the interrogation, there's going to be like a good. Good cryptozoologist, bad cryptozoologist, kind of thing. There's a lot Someone's of bad gonna... ones out there who are just in it for the money. <laughs> but you're going to be the one that's a lot on of our money side. To be made. Yeah. So you're the defender of the cryptids. I'm defender of the yeah. good ones. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a, a decent human, and I want to I want to you know uh, basically build a bridge between our worlds. And I know that they know where Atlantis is. <laughs> I want to go there and I find the beginning of our civilization. That's where we all came from. You know, they know they're the guardians of it. This makes so much sense now, now that I'm here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Underground system of uh, tunnels in Atlantis. Atlantis Seas, or is there one Atlantis? One Atlantis, Obviously, there's one Atlantis, but many Nessies that have the... It's in the center of the Earth. Would you have to get all the Nessies together to get, like, the directions to Atlantis, or could any one of them tell you? There's only one Nessie for a start. Okay, okay. (laughs) You just made a fool of yourself. (laughs) It's short for Loch Ness. I tried to do research for this, I swear. There's lots of sea serpents. They're sort of the... They carry the messages and stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah. Is there any contained, like, tribal knowledge within the Sasquatch community? Oh, absolutely. What sort of stuff would they know if we were able to... They're a massive tribe. What they they know? Well, they're, they're the foot soldiers of Atlantis. Oh, okay. They're just like... Yeah, So it's like the Navy is the... These are like either the... um, Army or some kind of special forces, but well, the it's Navy not that defined. You're thinking of it in, in, in purely human uh, capacities, <laughs> you know, army, navy. I mean, they don't wear helmets or have badges. It's it's a completely different world. <laughs> They've got their own languages. You know? How do they keep? Quick, go down the chambers! Here they come! (laughs) (laughs) The war's begun! Wait, who were they fighting? Did we cause this war? Yeah, well, well, only if, unless I'm the one who makes contact. So every, every cryptid hunter out there, just stop what you're doing. You're going to do yeah. this wrong. They're Let Reese be the ambassador. As soon as I shoot one Sasquatch, it's all over. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to get in there. I'm like the sort of the whisperer. I've got to get in there. <laughs> Sasquatch whisperer. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on with your world? <laughs> it's me, Reese Darby. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, they're like in your arms and you're petting them, right? Yeah, I can yeah. picture they've calmed Take down. down through your chambers. <laughs> yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm a good guy. This could go on for 10 minutes. You probably should do it. Can he be trusted? And behind that door, there was a Sasquatch orgy happening? Is that what was going on? No, once again, that's your own sexual <laughs> fantasies. So we're talking about real stuff here. Okay. They're not into sex. I apologize for taking this to a non-science place, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take responsibility for that. I think we should probably get our other guest on uh, before we spend an hour and a half doing Sasquatch noises. <laughs> oh, it's going to come Because I could very easily just sit back and let that happen. Uh, our, our other guest... Uh, 
has has been working um, recently on the new Cosmos series and is about to start working on a show for the Science Channel uh, called The New Race for Space. Uh, would you please welcome onto this show uh, Mr. Brandon Phipps? Hey, good to meet you. Nice to meet you. So we're going from cryptozoology to privatized space flight. This makes total sense. It's, it it and, and could some, not have flowed more easily. And, and sometimes every bit as um, elusive and funny and um, and mysterious and mysterious. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, we, I got you on because I know I know re- well, you're currently wearing a NASA hat. Mm. I don't know whether that I knew something. Yeah, See, yeah. I told you I'm connected. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you, you've, been, you've been working, like this is a show that will be coming out towards the end of the year. Uh, coming out toward the end of next year. Towards the end yeah. of next year. Uh, yeah, Cosmos is going to be airing sometime uh, likely March or April of next year. And that's the new version of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Correct. And so if you haven't seen the trailer, watch the trailer. There's a first trailer that we debuted at Comic-Con a couple months ago, which is really just a teaser, lots of whiz-bang flash, but uh, very beautiful. And then we'll be putting out some more information on that in the months to come, but... Be watching for that. It's going to be. It's not going to be a science show. It's going to be event television. It's wow! Going to be, it's, event it's, television. Yeah, nice. That's a big call. Cool. Cool. You have the you have the exact same writers that wrote the first Cosmos, minus of course Carl Sagan. Uh, you have a bunch of filmmakers who are used to doing TV, like uh, Harry Potter, or in movies like Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, uh, and then you have uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who you know even before this show was kind of the heir apparent to Carl Sagan, and there's no one better to in, post in case that. People, I think most people know who he is, but in case he's the black guy who's always on TV and knows everything about science. Yeah. <laughs> he's Morgan Freeman. Yeah. The show is the, the show is the other show you the other the other show you're making is actually with Morgan with Freeman's Morgan production. Freeman. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yes. Like the, the two most knowledgeable black men in the world, and, you, and like you're the core between. I'm clearly stalking them. Yeah. Um, so that show, the space race one, is focused on. Uh, the recent endeavors of private organizations to send vessels and people out into space. Yeah, uh, well, you know, ever since we shut the shuttle down, ever since NASA, poor NASA, sorry, covering the hat here, uh, su- shut the shuttle down. What? There's a lot of people in the world that think that. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of people that think that NASA itself is shut down, and actually, with well, the, now uh, it is with, with the is right now. Yeah. Shut down. It is actually shut down. It's actually the most affected government agency uh, out there. Ninety-seven wow. percent of it is shuttered. But um, a lot of people think that like NASA is not doing anything right now. But NASA is actually doing amazing things. But it's we've actually moved into a day now where rather than space races being between uh, countries, mm-hmm. we're now having a new space race between. Corporations, yay! Corporations. And so yeah, but you don't have just. So this show is going to focus on what's going on in space right now, and why you have uh, companies like SpaceX and Boeing and Sierra Nevada all developing different kind of crewed vehicles to take over where the space shuttle left off. But beyond that, in 2015, 25 I believe teams competing with the Google Lunar X Prize are going to be landing rovers on the moon. Wow. China's about to launch in December a, uh, a rover to land on the moon, drive all around. Uh, Congress is just passing legislation right now. They're actually doing something. Uh, <laughs> about uh, protecting the Apollo sites and turning those into national parks and then and eventually hoping, hopefully making those um, uh, world-protected sites so that no one can disturb them. And the reason they're doing this is because people have plans on going back to the moon and they actually think it's going to happen. We're going back to the moon... Elon Musk wants to be on Mars within 20 years. Will he personally try and be on Mars, or is he just going to send like some other people out there? He he has said that he would love to retire on Mars. Wow. 
with a Tesla? And, like, well, yeah. after, after the Tesla stock this week, after one of their Teslas caught fire and uh, their stock plummeted like a billion dollars, yeah, he may want to go hide out on Mars right now. But. Uh, by the way, if we're talking about um, protected lunar uh, um, sites, there's, there was a little story that came out just last week. Uh, apparently, a couple of uh, Apollo astronauts, including Jim Lovell, who was on Apollo 13, uh, are pissed, apparently, because the names they picked for various lunar sites didn't get used. Uh, this is a, uh, and, and also they didn't give him his map back. <laughs> I, I, I figured, like, I figured you give Jim Lovell anything you, you wanted, but, uh, he, Jim Lovell also, you might remember as the, uh, Tom Hanks from yeah, Apollo 13. If, you didn't get to the moon. We're taking your maps. Yeah. yeah. He, he picked him and William <laughs> Anders on, uh, on a Apollo 8 picked, uh, what they thought were appropriate craters for the moon landing. Uh, and he hoped that they'd be named after fellow crew members, Frank Borman and Jim Lovell. Uh, and himself. Uh, but three different craters ended up bearing their names, all out of sight of the flight path. And he's like, eh, I wanted those ones. It's uh, not right. I don't know. Like, uh, and, uh, and he said, uh, and also Lovell, uh, he made his feelings clear to the International Astro- Astronomical Union uh, responsible for naming celestial objects. He said, I wrote to the AI- a- uh, IAU to try to correct this, and even included the flight map. I got brushed off by its bureaucracy, and I never got my map back. Mm. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Give him his map map. back. And, of course, this article found many opportunities to use plays on the Houston, we have a problem quote, which is, yeah. And that was his quote, right? Yes, that was the famous Apollo 13 quote. Uh, A lot of people don't know that the astronauts uh, during the Apollo era named their own capsules and their own spacecraft. Oh, really? And I can't remember, unfortunately, any of the names at the moment, but they're all like they would name them after girlfriends or different goofy things that never actually made it out into the public. So when we talk about, like, the eagle has landed, they, like, had their own little, like, nicknames for it, you know, Betty Lou or these sorts of, you know, things the shredder. Yeah. (laughs) I was actually, I did, uh, we've talked about this before, there's a show called Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction that is a monthly show here in town run by a friend of the show, Brian Cook, and I did uh, erotic fan fiction about the Apollo 11 mission, uh, which I feel very conflicted about because they are American heroes, and as I was researching the flight, I the whole the mission, I was even more struck by how incredible they were, and I'm still belittling them and making them have crazy space sex uh, in this story. But I was surprised to find all kinds of things. Like they they brought along, you have this PPK, your personal something kit that's just whatever you want to bring. Every astronaut's allotted their own stuff that they can just doesn't have the mission related at all. And um, Neil Armstrong brought brought along. Um, a piece of an early Apollo was it Apollo one that had the explosion Fire. on the yeah he brought along a piece of that he brought along a piece of the Wright brothers original uh, airplane with him up so that went up to the moon with him and uh, I found out that um, Michael Collins designed the insignia that has the eagle with the olive branch landing on the moon so it was, maybe it's not that interesting. Uh, <laughs> But if you want to listen to them have, have uh, crazy SpaceX, uh, go listen to the Competitive Product Fan Fiction Podcast. I apologize to their families. And, uh, <laughs> Who are they, only are they, are they in it as well? Are yeah. They? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The but, families in it. And dad appeared. Yeah. 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 I'm a spaceman. <laughs> what are you doing on the moon? I didn't know you stowed away. Now here's my wang. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm paraphrasing. I wrote, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second only to... to uh, the, the famous first steps on the moon track leaps, you know. It's, yeah. That sure. one was not released to the public. You'd, you'd, you'd want to give it a quick go in space, wouldn't you? I think you'd have to. I'm sure, yeah. 
Well, at, at some point, think about it. If we are going to become a spacefaring species, if we are going to go out to the stars and we're going to go to Mars and, and other places, at some point, somebody mm. is going to have to have sex in space and try it out mm. for the good of science. Of I course. mean, it's not something I want to do. It's not. Does it's it not. Wait, how would you not want to do that? Sacrifice. <laughs> That's all I want to do. For, well, yes. <laughs> I think they'll film Sacrificing it. Sacrificing myself. <laughs> yeah. They'll how film m- it too, won't they? Also, how many miles high is that? Yeah, really. <laughs> We're crossing live now to our competition yeah. winners. <laughs> well, funny you mention that, Reese. but uh, there, is, there is another uh, TV show that's coming out about the private space race that I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Ran is I aware of. It's just uh, <laughs> a competition. A, voice, a, a producer of The Voice and uh, Survivor called Mark Burnett is teaming up with Richard Branson... Um, of Virgin and Virgin Galactic and Virgin everything um, to to make a show for NBC that'll compete to send the winner into space. Uh, it'll be filmed at least in part in Virgin Galactic's home at the Spaceport America in New Mexico. Um, I, that's the name of the place. I don't know whether it was named that before or after they put a space enterprise in that place. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the winner, they haven't announced exactly what they're going to have to do, whether it's going to be like a singing contest or a dance-off or whatever. <laughs> But the winner, the winner gets to go to space. The best moonwalk. Right. <laughs> I would love it if that, because like, it's a reality show. So I want like each week they're going, uh, you're going to have to eat in challenging situations. So uh, for this week, you've got to be on a fairground r- ride with spaghetti. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know. Like, do you know, do you know anything about what they're actually going to be doing for the show? I, I don't know. I don't know anything more than that. Uh, yeah, we we certainly are aware of the show just because it's. Uh, Conflicting some of, with ours and Virgin Galactic is is they they're more interested in doing this show than than the documentary. But yeah, it's like an astronaut competition and all the different things that astronauts have to do to uh, get themselves physically fit for outer space. Even though Virgin Galactic is going to be taking people up for about six minutes of weightlessness alone. So I was, was going to say they're not going to anything in the way of deep. No, this is this is just like a fancy airplane. Basically, it yeah. just goes a little bit higher. Yeah, but once yeah, it goes so once it goes over a certain level, then like this yeah. is technically space. Mm-hmm. Congratulations! It flies a giant parabola, goes up to about two hundred thousand, uh, and as soon as you start feeling a bit of weightlessness, you have that for about four to six minutes, and then you go back down, and it's over. And that costs. Uh, I think it, currently it costs about a quarter of a million. Yeah. I know there was just people just winced in the audience just then. Yeah, so, but if you think about it, though, there's also somebody. Space Adventures is a space tourism company, and they already have one buyer. They're waiting for one more ticket. Um, they've already sold, I think it's 150 million dollars for a ticket on a Soyuz spacecraft to circumnavigate the moon. Oh wow! So they're just waiting for one more person before they make the announcement. So 150. They're keeping, they're keeping the first ticket holder secret right now, but they said if they announced his name or her name, uh, it's someone we would all know. Baby. Beaver. I would it better not be Bieber. Yeah, oh man, we've gone off course and it's floating in a deep space. <laughs> oh well, all the best. <laughs> and let's play one of his videos and remember him well. Well, I'm always curious when uh, we get groups together like this. And we're talking about space. A lot of people. Uh, who are younger than I don't even want to go to space. I grew up in the era when everybody in the 80s, every kid wanted to be an astronaut. And I'm just curious, how many of you, if you were given the the opportunity to right now, free of charge, how many of you would go to space? Or better yet, how many of you wouldn't? That guy over there. Surprisingly, yeah, like seven mm. people or so don't even want to go to space. That's matter crazy to me. What, what are your reasons? I just out. two ladies on the front row. What are your reasons for not want, for not wanting to go to space? It's not gravity. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. 
So you're, it's you, it's travel sickness is your main concern. <laughs> travel sickness on an on a galactic scale. It right. is. Actually, have you read Packing for Mars? Has anybody here read that book? I've read bits of it, yeah. It's a great book, and it's about all the human things that make space travel difficult. And it turns out that uh, the motion sickness you get, you kind of never get over. And tons of astronauts have just pretended they didn't have it and just gone off to puke away from everybody so that they didn't, like, so they weren't wimps and they weren't, you know, grounded in the space program. But they were at some point considering putting on neck braces to keep you from moving your head because in weightlessness, if you turn your head too quickly ever, you'll just throw up. And then you never get over that. It's just a thing that... Well, yeah, think about the inner, <laughs> yeah. your inner ear problems that you yeah. have on Earth like when you get drunk or when you're having issues with your inner ears. The it's just like constant. That. It's just, yeah. yeah, because you are in a weightless situation, so all that kind of stuff is just kind of mm. floating around. So all these great men were just like puking, puking constantly and just hiding it. Just got one second. That wasn't puke, don't worry. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I get it from that standpoint, but also the safety standpoint. I mean, there have been so many accidents over the last few decades. Uh, is that part of it, or is it mostly just the turbulence? Uh, I suppose my thought about part of the, the possibility of, of death is there. What's that? What if you never come back? Was the question? What if you never uh, come back? Yeah. Mars One, which is a company out of the Netherlands, which wants to start sending people to Mars, uh, already had submitted. They've chosen like their coldest down uh, their group of, of astronauts that they want to send to Mars uh, from. 200,000 applicants, um, all of whom understood that this is a one-way trip to Mars. And so these guys just want to go and live out the rest of their lives in tiny little habitats that are, you know, much smaller than this room that we're in. And so, you have a lot of people that want to do it. So we're saying, like, even crazier people than those who moved to Alaska. <laughs> even crazier than Alaska people. I think people... it's a huge, huge opportunity, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime, literally, event. <laughs> yeah, well... And... <laughs> And I think, you know, they'll go down in history, and a lot of people are bored with, with, with Earth. They've got it. Yeah, you go to work, you come home again, you watch TV, you have kids. Whoop-dee. Let's go to Mars, you know? And I think, you know, I mean, I would do it, but I, you know, if I didn't have kids and didn't have a job or a good TV. Yeah, but if I, if I was, if I, particularly if I didn't have children or if I was older, you know, under the threshold of whatever it is, 70, to be able to go, but I've definitely lived a good life here, it would be... Uh, Are you Mars is going to be like Florida in the future? <laughs> yeah, it should be to start off with. So everyone goes let's to spend send, their golden years. Let's send the old dudes, you know, and, and, and make sure it's safe and everything. And if, if, if it doesn't work out, well, they were nearly dead anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's probably very old Jewish people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's very low crime rates on Mars. Yeah, Extremely safe it's community. Um, I'm just worried the Venn diagram of competent astronauts and people who've lost their will to live. There might, not, there might be two circles that don't have any overlap. That's a good lost yeah. your will to live? Hey, we got the company for you to join. In good physical shape and good at sums. No desire to continue life. <laughs> like <you>. explosions. <laughs> if anyone's got a spare 150 million, chuck it my way. Um, you depressed genius. <laughs> what is um, Rand? You you might well know this given your research for the show. Then what is the what is the lowest budget private space enterprise going right now? In terms of like like I mean obviously a lot of these companies like Elon Musk and uh, and Virgin have billions at their disposal that they're throwing at this project. What's like the most backyard? Oh yeah, that's New Zealand. That's, I, no, she'll be right. Space travel. It's, uh, it's out the back of a shed, and it's uh, it's a long way off. It was like the uh, the that movie a couple years ago, the astronaut farmer who who built a. 
who was supposed to be an astronaut during the Apollo era, and it didn't work out, and so he built a he built a rocket in his in his garage or not in his garage, like in a, in a barn, and then went to space. Right, but is is that is that the real life version of that? Is the um, I, I don't think there's anything that I've discovered that's quite that uh, extreme. Um, but you do have a. a there are a lot of companies out there that right. are trying to get into outer space right now. But even more unique, I think, is the fact of the people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Paul Allen and Jeff Bezos. Um, we basically have a world now where if you, when you make billions of dollars, the first thing you want to do is go to space and build rockets. Like all of these guys from, um, from Google and, uh, and, of course, you know, PayPal with Elon Musk and, and Virgin with, and stuff like that. All these guys, once they make a couple billion dollars, they just want to go to outer space with it. They just want to build rockets, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's become – and I think all of these guys, the one thing that's kind of uh, links them all is they all kind of grew up in that Apollo era in which we were told we were all going to be going mm-hmm. out into space right, and stuff right. like that. And now they're like, okay, that didn't happen, but now mm-hmm. I've got billions of dollars. Let's see if I can make it happen. But it is a kind of – it is like, again, for me as someone who grew up, at, like I, again, I wanted to be an astronaut. That was like, – I was big in space when I was a kid. It is a bit of a crushing disappointment that we, like, 60s and 70s, we send a handful of people to the moon and then nothing. So, mm. Like, we've had, we, you know, there's there's been space stations and there's um, huge advances, I'm sure, in all that technology. And we've had people just living in space for months and months at a time. But the fact that we haven't even got close to the moon again in decades... Uh, I think if the public wanted it, we'd do it, though. It, it must just be a thing that everyone's over, which is why I'm surprised that having money suddenly makes you want to do it again because the general public doesn't seem to be that excited. I don't know. I think that – I just think that we've stepped away from it. We've spent the last 30 years in low-Earth orbit with a shuttle yeah. uh, going where, as Neil deGrasse, or Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to say, you know, boldly going where everyone's been for the last 30-some <laughs> years. And that's why, like, this show, the new, new Race for Space, is going to be so exciting because 2015 is going to be a huge year. We're going to be putting all kinds of things on the moon. Wow. Shackleton Energy Corporation is a company that wants to begin lunar mining. Uh, Golden Spike, which is a company that's already uh, working with Lockheed Martin to design new lunar landers, they want to start sending people back to the oh. moon. Uh, the moon has helium-3, which is a, uh, a radiation isotope that is found in the lunar regolith um, that, if I, I believe, if I'm remembering my research correctly... Um, one cargo hold from the shuttle would be enough to power the the entire United States energy needs for a year. And so if we can go up to capture some of this stuff mm. from the lunar surface, uh, then we can maybe solve all kinds of energy crises here on Earth. Uh, there's How long- water in the lunar. You take that regolith and you heat it up uh, to sufficient temperatures. Out comes water. So you can not only, like, you survive on what you find up there, but you can make rocket fuel, and then you can stow that rocket fuel in, like, a lunar orbit or even an Earth orbit. And then, because that's the most expensive thing, the heavy propellants to get off Earth. So if you want to go to Mars or anything else like that, you make the propellants, float them around in orbit, send your spacecraft mm. up. It doesn't even need to carry a whole lot. Dock with it, and then... So the moon will become a recharging station the moon is going to, to become get a gas off station. to other bits of further yeah. in space. Yeah, that's exactly what people sense. want to do with it. Pretty awesome. How long before private companies fuck up the moon, then? Because <laughs> when you, when yeah, I noticed, like, like yeah. when you said like the, the company, there's going to be the first company that's going to start mining on the moon. Like, I think half the room just kind of went, oh. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think my girlfriend uh, actually gives me pretty uh, stink eyes whenever I bring this up when I come home and talk and talk about this kind of stuff. And that is that's why like Congress wants to you know designate certain areas as national parks and, and world heritage sites. But yeah, I mean, that that is that may be where we're going. Yeah, before there's like lunar fracking. <laughs> and then there's going to be like Greenpeace sit-ins on the moon <laughs> The Russians are going to attack the lunar base 
Well, we already have space. Space law is a new burgeoning part of our uh, jurisprudence. We have um, colleges more and more are uh, uh, making uh, new uh, master's and doctoral programs where you can get a degree in space law. There are space lawyers. And the whole reason we have space lawyers is because we are actually – yeah, at a place now in our lives where we have to – because when, when you think about it, also with private industry going up, if you have like you know what happens when a, a guy, an astronaut comes up on a SpaceX capsule and uh, is in a Bigelow floating habitat and slips on a banana peel and you know breaks the windpipe of an orbital, you know something like that, who do you sue? Right, you know, right. it's, it's, it was easy when it was NASA just because it was all government funded. But now we're going to have the same sort of litigation and stuff like that in space. And what happens when a – when an orbital spacecraft or a space spacecraft um, blows up and or, we lose a U.S. astronaut, or, or something collides like that. with another What's one in space, then, so. yeah. who has the insurance? Like, yeah, you know, you sideswipe me. Like, I, well, we were moving this way in an orbit for a day. You should have been I tracking it. Like, or God forbid, if we stay up there long enough, space divorce. I mean, who gets? <laughs> we haven't even had space what? sex yet. Let's okay, take this well, one step. Eventually, at a time it's here. only a matter of time till space divorce. Do you reckon if you're studying space law, uh, one of the courses? is on how to say no seriously. (laughs) (laughs) When when asked at parties. Because there's got to be like, what what are you? I'm a space lawyer. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that hadn't occurred to me, but obviously that is going to... It's kind of so depressing. Like... In a way, it, I think it's wonderful that all these private companies are getting involved and, and the rate's going to increase and you're going to have that competition because you need a competition. That, it, was the, it was the Cold War was the only reason we ended up on the moon in, at, like, at, at all because there was the huge race between R- Russia and America. And that now there's going to be this private race to be the first ones to hit various different milestones, and that's great. But, God, it gets depressing once you get private companies involved. I get really, oh, shit. <laughs> But that's also where innovation comes from a lot of times. And there was, even in the last few weeks, I know there were some articles about um, SpaceX, for the first time, um, is developing reusable rocket stages. Because yep. usually the when those hopper, get... The, that's the one that can it's take off and take land off vertical vertically, land. Yeah. right? Yeah. But then there's also stages that are going to like jettison as usual, but they aren't going to just fall full speed into the ocean and be destroyed. They have, like, they'll be firing engines as they're descending to slow them down so they can be reused. And, right. like, so those kind of things are kind of... That's undeniably a good thing because it's, uh, if nothing else, recycling, uh, and that's still a corporation developing that. So, yeah, there's know. there's astonishing innovation going yeah. on, and like, yeah, everyone needs to go home. Everyone within the sound of my voice, go <laughs> YouTube the Grasshopper, SpaceX Grasshopper, which is a first stage rocket. It's a gigantic thing, and we're so used to seeing those images from the, the Apollo era of the first stage, you know, falling away and tumbling back to Earth. The, the first stage is fire. effectively just a massive bomb. That they, right, yeah. that they put the rest the of the shuttle on top of. Right. But now SpaceX has designed this thing so it can do vertical landing and takeoff. So this thing will then fall back, but then rockets launch on the side, and it actually lands back just exactly where it took off, back on the launch pad again. We, which which is, we've never done anything remotely like that. It's astonishing that, to watch. Because that technology, the technology to get, the, to, get, to get anything through into the initial bits of orbiting, like through the atmosphere to start off with, that hasn't really developed since the earliest of rockets. Like that's effective. I'm We're, sure the fuels have developed, and I'm sure they've the stabilizing systems have, but it really hasn't changed from the earlier stages, which is just a shit ton of fuel that gets ignited yeah. and blasts off and then detaches and then tumbles, burns up. and We've made them fancier, but they're roughly the same thing that the Chinese invented you know, hundreds of years ago. And that's where all the money goes, that initial stage. 
the uh, it's the most costly part is it getting out into the atmosphere the, well, out of the, the atmosphere I would say you know the most costly stage is probably the stage which uh, keeps astronauts alive and all of the that right. sort of stuff oh well, yeah but, but besides that yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not important but. why don't they develop something else like a massive catapult or something to They've get up talk, there? They, yeah? that's so there are lots of things that if if we had lots of money you have space elevators or something mm-hmm. people want to to build in which you actually have a tether made of carbon nanotubes that uh, go up and you have a like a space station in orbit and it's wow. linked to like a floating sea platform and you send things up and down this I'll, tether up into space. I would have built a great like a great glass elevator. <laughs> That's what I would have. Yeah, the to get views up there. would be amazing. Yeah, but they yeah. have what they have talked about slingshots, different sort of things where you gather speed and you have a slow curvature and this thing would need to be like. I don't know, hundreds of miles long or something like that. But yeah, you would actually like kind of catapult people out into space. Oh, There's all kinds of things. And like what that. about? And can you talk to us a little bit about the sails? Um, solar sails. Yeah, solar sails. NASA is going to be launching a solar sail. I want to say by before the end of the year. I think That's actually S A I L rather than S A L. Oh, I thought everything must go because it was shut down. No, everything must go. Government shutdown is really hurting NASA. There's an astronaut stood there with like a placard just in the middle of the street. Solar sails are actually theorized to be one of the best uh, means of creating propulsion for a spacecraft because it uses the energy of the solar Mm, energy from the sun. Um, The problem with them is that while they attain really fast speeds, um, they take years and years to gather that speed because they have to kind of like suck up the solar energy. So, Mm. And these solar sails, they'll go up into outer space and they basically, it's exactly what it sounds like, they unfurl this gigantic sail that kind of like soaks up all that solar energy. And and the, the solar radiation actually, that those solar winds, bombard the, that sail and it actually begins to move the spacecraft and it can so it doesn't even need fuel that's it uses light awesome. fuel so that wouldn't be a feasible thing for transporting people just because of how slow it would be but just getting cargo somewhere far away right. without any expenditure of right. fuel at all that's pretty awesome yeah. but that's also again that's once you've got into space already that has nothing that yeah. has no effect on getting people passed into orbit in the first right. place you'd right? have to no. yeah that, that only works once you've actually gotten it using a normal rocket to get it out out of the atmosphere yeah so if Elon Musk is shooting for Mars within 20 years, what do you guys think is going to happen first? Manned landing on Mars or some fast way to get between L.A. and San Francisco? Because <laughs> he's also proposed that vacuum, yep. t- uh, essentially like that banker's tube thing that will connect right. L.A. to The giant pneumonic tube. But he said he's, he's too busy, clearly, to uh, build okay. it. So he's like, here's the great idea. Go build it. Oh, I don't, I don't I have he, time to do it. He has it. no desire to implement it at no, all. It's just an all. idea. Okay. Yep. So somebody – does anybody here have like $20 billion who can go? I can come up with ideas. Like the whole point of Elon Musk is he actually makes the things. Like <laughs> everyone can say, okay, what if <laughs> – no, hear me out, guys. Balloons, right? <laughs> Like, when I was in fourth grade, I drew a thing in the margins of my uh, notebook that I thought was pretty brilliant. It's basically like a Segway with wings. Uh, pretty great idea, right, you guys? That was before Segways even existed. Uh, so just go do that. Someone go do that, and then we'll be good, right? Flying yeah, and segways. someone else make, like, a unicorn with a giant penis, <laughs> which is from another one of his diagrams. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you'd gotten into my notebook, yeah, yeah. but um, right. it was pretty oh, accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lifelike, veiny. That's not a plywood. Uh, no. Sorry. Science. This is a yes, science yes, podcast, yes. sort of, probably. Hey. So, Reese, would you go to space if you had a chance? Yeah, absolutely. Would you take your whole family with you? No. <laughs> no. They're I, here. They can hear you say that. No, I would. No, I, there's, there's risks involved. And when you're a father, you know, you, 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 are you a father? I'm not a father. No, no, well, you'll understand. As soon as you've got children, you, um, you, nothing is more important than, than protecting them. What if they love space also? 
they they're not into it. They're like somebody there. We did this thing earlier. Uh, I don't know whether you guys were here, but we asked um, <laughs> how many people are not interested in going to space. A lot of young people aren't, and they yeah, my two sons. Um, I mean, they? they're only very young, three and seven, <laughs> but they're no, no, I don't want to go. Uh, they, they think they're scared or something. Yeah. So could you start to threaten them with space if they don't do things? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I. They know what I'm like, so they, they take me seriously in any respect. Could but, Rosie um, threaten them with space? Possibly, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, because my, my, one of my big dreams was that my youngest three, uh, that's not his name, that's his age, <laughs> <laughs> um, that he would be a, a spaceship commander. You know, he'd be in, in flying, in, a, 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 in, I don't know, 40, 50 years' time, he'd be flying a, a huge ship and I'd be, I'd be on there. I'd be... I'd be performing in the comedy club aboard the, uh, <laughs> aboard the, uh, the, the liner, oh, the God. space liner. That'll be like the new cruise ship comedian, won't it? Yeah. It'll yeah. be like the next space level. Comic. Spaceship comedian. Space comic. And, uh, and you'll have yeah. to have your, your, like, your, your jokes about space sickness that you pull out every week and it looks spontaneous and yeah. everyone's like, oh, how did he know? And you're like, ah, because he always does that joke. <laughs> well, you've got to have entertainment, you know? Yeah. By this time, 40, 50 years, we'll also will have already uh, made friends with all the Sasquatches. Uh, mm-hmm. The Nessies will know where Atlantis is. Mm-hmm. So at that point, will we bring any cryptids up with us into space, or do they have to stay down here? They're not keen. No, they mm-hmm. won't be going there. They, what? You, just, you know they don't like it? No, they don't like... They don't, they're not really big on space. You know, once again, you're going into your sort of human <laughs> realms. Can you imagine a Sasquatch with a helmet on? It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not realistic. Just think about all the opportunities, though. We think that Europa is uh, oh, yeah. completely, uh, well, it's covered in ice. We think that there are giant oceans, mm-hmm. water oceans yeah. underneath that. And so NASA's at JPL right here in Los Angeles is trying to come up with mechanisms to land and then burrow like little submarines through wow. that can then float around. And they think that if any place may have life in the solar system, yeah. that the, the, the moon Europa might be it. So, you know, we can send Nessie up there and kind of... I have you know, a theory. She could be our ambassador from Earth. I, Europa. Well, you're right. And who's to say that, uh, you know, she's not from up there anyway. And I, I have this theory that there's this giant jellyfish in, in, the, in the seas of Europa. And they're, that's where they live. And they come up and they, they can fly and they're flying here. And that uh, UFO sightings are often um, organic flying jelly, jellyfish. <laughs> flying je- jellyfish from Europa. Can I ask what that theory is? That sounds stupid, but it's a um, great science podcast. Can I ask what that theory is based on? <laughs> because a lot of people, when they see UFOs, they say it, it felt like it was more of an organic thing, like a giant jellyfish, and they're the shape of uh, basically of a, of a jellyfish. And I believe that they are giant jellyfish from Europa. We're doing good work up here, you guys. <laughs> We're doing good things for science. My book comes out next week, uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a well worth reading. It's not a comedy book, <laughs> although a lot of people find it funny. <laughs> Is it called The Jellyfish from Europa? A true story. How much? How- Based on fiction. <laughs> Over 127 illustrations. <laughs> it's, it's true to you, mm. which I think is the only truth that matters, really. That's my Apart other book I've truth. written. True to me. <laughs> These are things I believe to truth be true. Truth is for yourself. Right. I think it should be for you. It's not for other people. Truth. It's your own personal <laughs> thing. And if other people want to believe it as well, that's good. They can be in your gang. If not, get off my bike. <laughs> <laughs> truth gangs. That's just some more quotes from gangs. my new book. <laughs> The whole book is that. The whole book is just like pages and pages of you berating people who are questioning you. 
Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> so it's a small section of it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to work out exactly what the minimum amount of money we would have to raise would be between us to get into space. By the definition of like the Virgin Galactic sh- uh, plane thing that just goes high, or like a SpaceX farther out trip, or I don't know because I know that I know there are sort of isn't there there's a competition um, that is for pri- for private people and like small companies, <laughs> <Just> very private, <laughs> private people, private people. <laughs> uh, but for for individuals and small companies, there's a prize for getting to certain levels of space, right? I think there's some people in the room nodding, are uh, probably more knowledgeable than me about this. Did you, yeah. Now you're wincing, but you don't know the details. But you're at the same level as me as like, yeah, I think I heard that once. <laughs> I well, remember once right. reading that on the website. So the Google Lunar X Prize was I was mentioning earlier. The X Prize was something that was started uh, years ago for the first private spacecraft to go into space. That was Spaceship One. Okay. That. And that's it was on uh, based on that design that we now have Spaceship Two, which is what Richard Branson is flying for Virgin Galactic. Okay. So who created Spaceship One? Spaceship One was created with like Burt Rattan and and. Uh, Scale Dynamics and a bunch of other companies and stuff like that. They, they were all just uh, private companies that wanted to win the prize, which I, I think I want to say like forty million dollars was okay. was the prize. So it, 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 many of these X prizes are based on uh, the the prize that Lindbergh won uh, in the early twenty. Uh, was it nineteen fourteen when uh, he flew from New York to Paris? Right. So there was, a, I think it was only something like $200,000 at the time, but it was a huge prize, and nobody had thought that it was even possible to cross the ocean like that. And so he was the first person to do it. And so it was based on that that they wanted to offer these gigantic prizes to uh, kind of you know, get innovation going and, and mm. inspire innovation, something like that. And you, and you could say that there's a direct link between Spaceship One, which was just 1990 four or six something like that no even later than that but um even but and then you know what we're seeing now with all of these these tremendous advancements but if you and i wanted to go to space what would we have to raise we would need to go buy a space we would need to buy a ride on a spacecraft so you would have to go to something like um spacex or something like that and then get some you know buy some time in the rockets but there's nothing's human rated right now so you'd have to really hold your breath and wear something warm Okay. Wait, nothing they've done is human rated yet? I didn't Not know yet. that. Oh, no. okay. So they've docked at the space station several times. Uh, they hope to fly human beings to the space station by 2015. Oh, okay. I thought we'd already had private uh, manned missions. Nope. Not yet. So just things that are basically glorified planes at this point. Nothing. They're, they're just capsules. So SpaceX has docked at the, at the station twice. Orbital just last week launched for their very first time uh, their Cygnus capsule, and they docked at the space station. Okay. So they're only the second company to do that. Sierra Nevada is another company, and they have like a basically a miniature shuttle that sits on top of a rocket. Unrelated and, to the beer, correct? Uh, unrelated okay. to the beer, yes. Unrelated to the beer. And then uh, the other, only other company is uh, Boeing. And th- these are all the companies that are competing for like these NASA contracts now that NASA no longer flies the space shuttle. But yeah, no, hu- no humans yet. We're still a couple years away from private industry putting humans into space. So who else is still actively sending people to the space station? Oh, only uh, America and Russia. Okay. And so, but we have to buy seats on Russian craft so, at so exorbitantly far. higher rates right now, which is why we want private industry to step up so that we don't have to keep paying the Russians a lot. So the previous situations where private individuals have gone into space, they've just been given the Russian government money. Private, yeah, private individuals have gone to space, like Denis Tito and Anusha Ansari and some of these guys. They've gone on uh, – they will fly a Soyuz on a Russian rocket, and they spend time in the space station for about a week or so like that, and they come back. But 
uh, the Americans. See, that's good. That's proper space. That's that, that, that is proper space. That absolutely. Counts. But they can't leave the Russian segment because they the deal is the Russian government. So the Russian government's kind of like raking in this space tourism money, but mm. the U.S. government won't won't do that. So, so they there's have, like, like a little door the that they side. can't go through, and they can wave at the Americans. There are doors, but there are little. They are all segments, and uh, they're not allowed to leave certain segments of the space station. Otherwise, that you would get suck. <laughs> That'd be so annoying to be in a like in a space station and just have so, like an American guy on the other side of a divider going nah. No, you can't come into my bit. I think there's probably enough awesome stuff going on that you'd be okay. You'd probably never even leave the, fir- the window. What have you heard about things that have been snuck? I, I, I'm just going by what I read in that book, Packing for Mars, which is a great book. Um, but they said that uh, a lot of Russian astronauts have been successful in sneaking booze up oh, into... Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. th- is there booze up the space Do you seriously think the Russians right? don't have vodka up there? <laughs> <laughs> How do you sneak booze? That's like, you can't, I don't even think I the Russians get it on have an airplane. to sneak it. I think the, the Americans might have to, but I'm not thinking... Yeah, they've got a pocket in their outfit. <laughs> right. Perfectly in, yeah. formed for the, uh, for the hip flask. The chest flask. Which is on the chest, which is weird for a hip flask pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's Russian design. Except that it's all out of a straw, because like, you know, most everything you eat and drink in okay. space you know, comes out of a little straw, so you just like a little vodka container, and then you pull up this little straw. Like a Capri Sun. Yeah, it's exactly like... Like a Capri Sun with yeah. vodka in it, yeah. Space, space Capri Suns. Yeah, I would go to space, space if there was vodka. If there's a promise of vodka, I would go to the space. That would be what me. would take. It might help with your yeah. motion sickness, so you may yeah. want to reconsider. You... Oh, God, that's the – oh, my God. That sounds – a space hangover must be the worst thing ever also. Or maybe everything's upside down and a space hangover feels great. There's no there way to tell. There is no upside down. Yeah, there's literally no way to tell without doing the experiment. We could be onto something. All right, so we're so we're deciding we're going to volunteer for SpaceX and for space hangovers. I think the two go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A space bar. Uh, space babies coming. Uh... Yeah, I think one comes very quickly after the other. Wow. But that, 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 that again, that presumably someone will have to do that as an experiment at some point. I would imagine starting with animal experiments, but uh, you need to find out whether gestation in space works and whether right. it whether Babies can, like where their embryos can form naturally in uh, zero gravity. Zero gravity cause yeah. Why do you have to find that out? Hold on a second. I'm just wondering why is that necessary to find <laughs> out? Well, because <laughs> it's in, his in own the long fantasy. because in the long term, if you're if you're talking about building communities in space, that's going to be an important thing. You can't just have, otherwise there'll just be that one generation of the weird ones who went to Mars, and they'll presumably want to have some kind of offspring or is the plan just they'll die off one by one until there's just one lonely guy burying all his friends on Mars <laughs> I just thought this is horrible that's right? so you don't want that's that, the right? general idea <laughs> <laughs> we gotta send the space gravedigger up there of course yeah that's um, but I thought with the plan would be we'd go to places that, that either have gravity that's similar to ours or mm. develop spinny things because like you don't want to be Forever in zero gravity because no, you're biased. Can't. You have to have gravity, otherwise, no one. There's no interest in being there. No one wants to float. You can't have the lady float for nine months while the yeah. baby's coming. Maybe it's an incredibly comfortable way to give birth. <laughs> it would be, but like, I wouldn't I, want to float for nine months. Like if the baby body. just sort of floats out of the woman. <laughs> <laughs> just tethered away by the, the cords. Are shaking their heads. Yeah, no, Matt think. doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. There's a lot of fluids involved. There's, this is not <laughs> things. Yeah, things come out in addition process. to the baby, Matt. It's not just a super not that clean easy. baby that's just yeah. like. Yeah, oh, here, I mean, go. you'd probably have to have a special room. You wouldn't want a placenta floating off into the instruments, but, but. But I mean, these are all things that will have to be considered. What if? 
No, I'm saying they might not have to be. I think it's. I, I don't think they will. What you saying it should be to only give birth once you land on the place that has some gravity. What if it happens by accident, like earlier? You can't control that. That's why you got space lawyers and uh, space Planned Parenthood and. Uh, space no, Planned Parenthood. That's awful. So now you're advocating the first space abortion. Maybe yes. <laughs> I can't be the first person to have said that. It's just the right thing to do. It's, uh... I support an astronaut's right to choose. <laughs> Pro space life. Oh, well, I think we should. Is that microphone active? Can we? Are there anybody in the audience who has a question for either of our guests or for us or anybody want to tell a space story, fictional or non-fictional? <laughs> I feel like we've covered everything. I think Sasquatch we have stories, Loch Ness sightings. Anybody seen anything that was blurry ever in their lives? <laughs> they want to tell us about. Yeah, there is a theory that they actually are blurry. <laughs> that's because as they travel from another dimension, they don't form quite well enough when they come through and we, we they're actually in another dimension when we look at them a lot of them because the windows are opening and shutting and we and when we look with our own visual human eyes we can't make out the proper shapes neither can our cameras because they're made by us so intense it's, it all seems so common sense once you put it like that that's though, right it's all in my new book uh, <laughs> what was it called again <laughs> just search uh, Reese Darby on Amazon yeah so they, again, they have uh, underground bunkers. They have their own weaponry. They have guns that are sort of human sounding when they what's, fire. What's, where's this coming from? Well, I underground the, I bunkers? Heard, I heard the audio of a battle I think that was earlier. us shooting them. Oh, okay. I thought they were fighting amongst themselves. I thought there was like an intra-Sasquatch war. No, nah, that was I, I made contact. I started going down the tube. And uh, uh, some soldiers followed behind me. Some, some bad guys. Oh, yeah, oh some, okay. okay. Some, so they're, a peace, they're a peaceful people. Oh. They're a peaceful species. Of course. Yes. Okay, so since you were talking about space lawyers, um, in gravity, it won't give anything away, I promise. Oh, you want to get to see gravity? It's not fair. I was at the I'm festival. Not, it's I not keep... going to give anything away. It just sparked my question. Okay, uh, uh, the Russians shoot down one of their own right. shuttles Which to get it out of the way. Real and the debris event. causes damage to an American ship. Do the Russians have to pay to fix the American ship? That's a good question. So that's where the space lawyers would come in because they'd have to dispute that. But I thought it was actually a thing that really happened. It so. is the, the uh, it was an actual incident in which the Chinese shot down one of their own satellites, and it did cause quite a debris. Um, a lot of people don't understand like when when you're moving that fast, hundreds of thousands of miles an hour, even a paint fleck, even some like piece of paint that flecks off of a satellite or something like that, moving that fast is basically a bullet. And it will tear through just about anything. So, uh, yeah, not I mean, everyone's seen I hope the Gravity Trailers, I've seen it twice already. It's an extraordinary movie. Um, so I highly recommend everyone see it. But, yeah, it's, uh, you basically just, those things are going to be like little lasers and will just bore through wow. everything they hit. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very real scenario. Yeah, based on, yeah, I don't know, uh, with governments, that's going to be a whole different sort of thing. Because that's, uh, that's going to be more of an in- international incident. And, uh, Couldn't that sort of stuff spark war? I suppose if it was done intentionally to... That could be the sequel yeah. to Gravity, I guess. Yeah, Gravity Part 2. Gravity kills. The Revenge. This time it's heavy. <laughs> the Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I'm, surpri- I'm always surprised that like we don't even have that much control over when things uh, come out of orbit. You know, we just kind of know over these like several thousand miles it's going to fall somewhere. But like, I'm surprised there haven't been more casualties from things coming down from space, you know, being brought down. Because we, we can't even... Well, they try to aim for the Pacific Ocean. They generally. try to, but they don't always succeed. Like, things have landed in, I think, just, like, 
uninhabited parts of Australia, haven't they? Or yeah, but no one cares about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as it doesn't hit New Zealand. Right. Yeah, as long as nothing hits New Zealand. Peter Jackson it's, it's won't be like, very happy. Speaking of which, by the way, given you're a New Zealander and you have an interest in in strange animals, do you have any idea why it is that Australia is full of things that mm. can kill you at every turn and New Zealand's generally quite friendly? Yeah, we it's absolutely... We, them. we have nothing. Yeah, we, we've got sheep, obviously, and you know we brought those in. Um, there's a amazing bird life, but there's... Um, Nothing else. You don't have the megafauna that Australia has? You don't have any of the What'd crazy... What you say? The megafauna? Megafauna? They're just <laughs> big animals? Megafauna. No. no. Do, you have, do you have any crazy things? Like, do you have any uh, kangaroos? Do you have any... No. Uh... We've got some wallabies that some dude brought over. Right on. <laughs> we, have he... de- we have deer. We have you yeah. know, domestic animals. Uh, we have farm animals, obviously. Uh, they're a big hit. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> Uh, but we don't have any... Yeah, it's just really fascinating. I guess when, you know, uh, it was Gwanalan, uh, Albert didn't come off Australia. Albert came off from somewhere else, you know, in New Zealand. You'd have to go back. We'd have to go back and check it out, but I think Which I don't think we New Zealand can. was originally attached to. Yeah. Uh, and, and Australia, you know, Australia is fascinating when you consider it in terms of evolutionary history and Pangea mm. and stuff like mm. that. All the marsupials, you know, in the planet, almost like 99.9% of them all come from Australia, and then the only other ones are a couple in South America, and that was back when, before the continents split and drifted apart, that's oh, okay. where they all developed. And so before humans introduced non-marsupial mammals, there weren't any non-marsupial-type mammals. There were no horses or dogs or, or rabbits or anything like that in Australia. It was just all marsupials. all marsupials. Oh, okay. so it was, so it's a, it's I, a pretty fascinating place. I think subject. I, I think I might have misused the term megafauna. I think I was confusing it with the fact that uh, have you anybody read Guns, Germs, and Steel here? Uh, great notes at the back of the room there. A great book about uh, how everything came to be on this planet, basically. Um, um, but one of the things it talked about, I guess there used to be, I was just mislabeling all the just weird animals. Australia just has all the weirdest animals, but they're not huge. There were megafauna that were quickly killed off when humans came over to Australia because they were introduced so late. Like, the reason Africa has so many megafauna to this day, like elephants and just rhinos and big things, is because humans have been in Africa for so long that these animals evolved alongside humans, so became had to, had evolved to be intelligent enough to not be killed off by humans. And humans came so late to the game to Australia that, like, within 100 years of their arrival, they'd killed off all these animals that were so dumb they could just walk up to them and knock mm-hmm. them on the head because they had no idea that what humans were and didn't have to evolve next to them to be smart. So that's what I was thinking, uh, not what I said, but uh, whatever, yeah. So megafauna are not on Australia either for that reason, but are on Africa. Is, is there anything poisonous in New Zealand? Uh, there is a, a spider, um, but no one's ever seen it. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one ever lives to tell the tale? They find their dead bodies? <laughs> It's basically our version of Bigfoot. Uh, there's been a few eyewitness reports, um, but the, the photos are very blurry. blurry. And, yeah, so no, not really. The thing that'll kill you there is people go uh, tramping through the woods and, and you know, mountain climbing, you know. The, it's, the, it's the beautiful scenery that tends to kill people in the end. <laughs> and the, oh, that's beautiful! <laughs> and, and the orcs. Yeah. The, oh, of course. The orcs are awful. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you had to believe the Goblins. Hobbit. 
it's all um, a documentary, but, uh, <laughs> uh, then yeah, there's some they, pretty. They do. The New Zealand Tourist Board does very heavily push the Lord of the Rings. Yes, they we, do. We really push it. <laughs> um, it's embarrassing. I don't know whether you've been on a plane to New Zealand, but uh, the safety video is full of orcs and <laughs> hobbits. And it's it's really embarrassing, <laughs> and uh, I'm ashamed. But hey, you know, what else we got? <laughs> Rugby, I guess. And we really push that as well. We push the three things we have really majorly. I mean, we're tiny, a tiny country. It's like a village, New Zealand. There's four million people there. Is that all? So we all the know each other. was basically the third biggest thing out of New Zealand. Oh, absolutely. That was the third thing, yeah. And so uh, it's kind of like, I don't know. I get embarrassed talking about it. It's <laughs> pretty the, awesome. Can you do the, uh, the, da- the, is it called the haka? No, what's the... Um, yeah, the haka. Is that the rugby team's... Uh... That's, the, that's the war dance that we do before... Uh, we annihilate the opposition. Yeah. <laughs> Does everyone have to learn that at a certain uh, grade or something? No, don't have to. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, a lot of people, you should learn it. You should. It's your, yeah, it's your duty. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, As a um, everyone's proud of, of our uh, heritage. And um, Maori is a big part of that. Where we, uh, Maori language is taught at school. Uh, it wasn't when I was a kid, but it's changed now. So it's we're very 50-50 with the culture. Um, Is, are the signposts in Maori as well? Yes, they are. Yep. So it's gone the way of Wales, where a little bit, yeah. I mean, not not all the. I mean, sort of yeah, a bit dual. Okay. But not quite so much. Not as much as Wales, I think. Well, Wales. I don't know if you've ever been to Wales. Anyone uh, knows but, the Welsh language? It's but like extraordinary. Every, yeah. Now, like it, a few, I can't remember when it was, but quite a few years ago now, they made it legally bilingual as a country. So anything official, every road sign, every mm. public document or whatever, has to be in both languages. And the wealth language is just fucked. Let's just go out and say this. It's a, it's a very peculiar, consonant-heavy language. I remember yeah. driving through Wales a couple of years back and like, had to stop and take a picture of the sign because the town I passed was like, it was like a German word. It was mm. 18 lines long, all one word. I looked it up, and it was like it's the longest-worded town oh, that in one, yes. the world. But not that I can pronounce and it. And my name is Welsh as well, and it's R-H-Y-S. And uh, people always go, what the hell is that word? You know, it's Reese. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's, it's not. <laughs> well, actually, it is. Yeah, and it's. And I'm proud of that. I think I like things that are different. And there is a lot of H's and a lot of Y's in, in Welsh language. Lots of L's. And yeah, none, of it, L's. none of it makes sense, but that's why it's so wonderful. It was a big New Zealand-Welsh rivalry, though, for years. Like yeah. Rugby rivalry. Def- or, or I can't is. say the phrase rugby rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's. Uh, but we... Um, we're very similar countries, actually. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of sheep, a lot of farmland, <laughs> a lot of R's and H's and Y's, and a lot of hills. Mm-hmm. Great cultural heritage you have right there. Yeah, R's and H's and Y's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm proud. Bond over <laughs> consonants and sometimes vowels. But yeah, no, going back to space. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think. <laughs> Thanks for doing our job for us. She'll be right. Rockets uh, is launching very shortly. Um, <laughs> From Wellington, and I think we'll make it. I think we'll get there. I can't, I'm really looking forward to this new space race because um, obviously I was too young to experience the one in the 50s. Well, also just if, and I think this one will be more intense. There'll be more people involved, more and more also the pictures and the images because you know the only thing, the only stuff we have from the Apollo mission on the moon is sort of shaky. It's fake. 
Yeah, it's fake. It's like, fake. It was shot in yeah. a sound studio in the. But in think Berlin. how much better yeah. we can fake it now with modern film production techniques. Like I, you could. Yeah, that's a good question. Do you think there'll be some faking going on with the technology that's involved now? That the, the competition. Ooh. Some of these companies are going. Oh, let's just 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 fake it. Fake it. Like you could fake yeah. a moon landing now with a MacBook Pro. Yeah. <laughs> that is on so much so much better level than the way they faked it back in the day. <laughs> mm. Is that the Google Lunar X Prize, one of the rules for them to win the $30 million purse is uh, one of the things they have to do is send back high-definition video and pictures from the moon. So that's actually one of the things I'm most looking forward to, yeah. is having high-definition Amazing. shots of stuff. On Some the of those shots of, from the Curiosity rover are outstanding. Are They've there. mapped them together so you can do kind of an immersive look around on, on your you know. Well, and Google website. Maps has done the moon now as well, right? So you can... Really? Yeah, yeah you I can. There's, there's, yeah. you can go Google Maps. The, mo- I don't think you can do like route planning between. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I want to drive from, <laughs> from Tran- Van Nuys yeah, to, yeah, tranquility to, yeah. But, but the, you can, you can the same way like on Google Earth, they've done that for the moon now, where you can scroll around and zoom in and spin it wow. about. Yeah. So yeah, I want to see that. I want to see high definition moon pictures. I want to see like a little buggy driving around. We need high because qu- this is a, a thing I found out also when I was researching the Apollo Eleven mission. I didn't realize that uh, somebody at NASA accidentally taped over the original uh, video of the landing. Like all we have is just videos <laughs> of videos. Like what was broadcast out to TVs that's been captured, but the actual original tape someone literally taped over the Apollo Eleven tapes at NASA. Like the yeah. original is gone because uh, I think they recorded Happy Days on it. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah. It was uh, the shark. To be fair, it was a very episode. good episode of Happy Days. It was worth it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Brandon Fibs and Reese Darby. Let's hear it again for them, everybody. Yeah. Guys, thank you. It's been amazing. Uh, do you have? Well, Reese, you have a show coming up you want to mention, I think, don't you? Uh, yeah, if you want to catch me live next Saturday at the Hollywood Improv, uh, I'm doing a big stand-up. Um, well, it's, not, it's just regular stand-up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll try and big it up. If you and your DVD's out. out as well, right? You... Yeah, if you want to catch my uh, my act, uh, it's on iTunes, This Way to Spaceship. Um, and there's also a book available of the same name. But just before I go, the real reason I'm here is I'm trying to sell raffle tickets to my son for my son's school. So <laughs> <laughs> if you guys want to come and meet me, they're, uh, they're a dollar each. Uh, it's for Halloween. And uh, what, are the, what are the prizes? Uh, the, the first prize is like a computer, a, a, a Dell laptop. Is that a good one? T- touchscreen computer, it says. So. 14-inch touchscreen touch computer, so you can touch it and it'll do things. And then second... Pr- outer space right yeah. there. Wow. <laughs> right. Nice, yeah. huh? Oh, hang on. The second prize. With second prize. Yeah, after, with, after the laptop. It's, it's with Shilby Wright Rockets New Zealand, <laughs> so I wouldn't... Uh, don't go for second prize. It could be risky. Third prize is an Amazon Kindle or Kindle. And I, uh, that's the Welsh pronunciation. It's the Amazon yeah. Kindle Fire, though. That's yeah, yeah, Fire yeah. HD. Wow, there's some good prizes there. So how much? Be, how much? It's is a good tickets? school. It's got celebrities' kids in it. <laughs> <laughs> so come and see me. And Matt's already bought one. He paid a dollar. There's the, I've sold one. I did. That is true. I bought. I bought a raffle ticket. Um, there, there is. Uh, Reese doesn't have his DVDs with him, but you can get. You can get the stuff online, iTunes, and I think Amazon. It'll be out soon. Uh, I got a couple of my CDs on the merch table if you want to my, my stand-up CD. Uh, as always, any questions, comments, clarifications, email us, probablyscience at gmail.com, tweet us at probablyscience, and write nice things on iTunes. And, uh, and your show is coming out uh, Yeah, two look, shows. Look, yeah, look for Cosmos uh, in the spring, in March or April on Fox. It's going to be on Sunday nights uh, next spring. And then the, the new race for space is going to air on the Science Channel in the fall of next year. 
So please check those out. Go and see Reese's stand-up show. Um, before we do go, can we please have a round of applause for all the people who help work at this festival? Set it up. Turn on the sound desk over there. Woo! I know Andy's one of the organizers of the festival, but all the other organizers and yourselves for coming along. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Thank you so much. And please, uh, one more time for our guests, Mr. Brandon Phipps and Mr. Reese Darby. Thanks for joining us, guys. Enjoy the rest Thank of the you. festival. Thank you so much. We'll see you in space. Absolutely. My pleasure. And dollar guys. He's not kidding about the raffle tickets. Yeah.